0: Hello and welcome back to Xavier Newswire Live, the radio show that will catch you up on all of the Xavier news from Ledwood Drive to Dana Avenue and beyond. Today is October 24th, 2022, and we
1: are bringing this show to you live. I'm Kayla Ross. And I'm Julia Lankish. On this episode, you'll get to hear the Newswire multimedia crew bring you the rundown on something rotten, sports, the campus catch-up, radio and film wrecks, upcoming events downtown, and what's happening in the world. Let's get started. Ben's going to give us an interview with some of the cast members of Something Rotten, Joe, and a lighting designer, Alec.
2: Thanks, Julia. Hello, everyone. My name is Ben Dickerson. I'm a first-year student currently working an internship with Newswire. I'm here today with two members of the cast and crew, respectively, from Xavier Theater's recent production of Something Rotten, Joe Mitchell, who played the role of Nostradamus, and Alec Schneider, who is lighting designer. I'd like to start out with an introduction from all of our guests today, so if each of you could just state your name, role in the play, grade, and and
3: any previous experience with Xavier Theatre. Hello, I'm Joe Mitchell. I played Nostradamus. Um, I am a junior theatre education major, and my previous experience with Xavier Theatre, I've been a part of multiple shows uh, my freshman and sophomore year, Um, and this is my first show of this school year, uh, which is very exciting.
4: Yeah, my name is Alex Schneider. Like you said, I'm the lighting designer for Something Rotten. I'm a senior theater major with a focus on lighting design, so that's my profession, hopefully. Um, Previous experience, I've done a good number of shows, freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Um, Sophomore year being over COVID, was a little bit under, busy, kind of, but uh, junior year, things ramped back up as soon as we hit the ground.
2: Awesome. So, originally, the production of Something Rotten was only scheduled to uh, be shown one weekend, but was extended to also be shown over Family Weekend at Xavier this past weekend. Uh, what went into that decision to extend the production and add some additional shows for Family Weekend?
3: Um, as far as I know, I think it was planned for a long time to be a two-weekend run. Um, in the past, as pre-COVID, if, uh, which Alec was here for and I was not, but we did more two-weekend runs of shows... Um, particularly for Family Weekend, because that's a time when a lot of people are coming in and we want to be able to display the best of our theater program. And so I think that was a huge factor in making this show um, one of our only two weekend shows of this season.
4: Yeah, like Joe said, like having uh, such a big name show, being over Family Weekend is just a big draw for people, especially when we have so many more people on campus. Um, Like we have like a lot of big names that come through, like Mama Mia last year. We had Heather's my freshman year. Those are like really really popular plays. So we're trying to put those right on the schedule where the most people are going to be on campus,
2: pretty much. Were either of your parents able to come in and see see the play this
3: weekend? Yes, my parents were able to come in this past weekend.
2: Yeah, my mom saw it on opening night. Awesome. Uh, So with that being said, the play seems to have been a massive success. Um, If you would. Uh, Could you just give us a short synopsis of the play itself from your perspective?
3: Yeah, so the play takes place during the Renaissance when Shakespeare is uh, the most popular theater artist of his time. Uh, But the play follows two struggling playwrights, brothers Nick and Nigel, as they try to come up with the next big thing in theater. So they come up with the world's first ever musical and struggle to do so along the way, which leads to a lot of comedy.
4: Yeah, just summed it up pretty much a
2: lot better than I would have. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So Something Rotten um, is a comedy, um, as you mentioned, that was, is set in the Renaissance in 1595. Uh, how are the cast and crew able to collaborate to immerse the viewer in the world of the Renaissance?
3: Yeah, the cast, especially with, like you said, a comedy, we are able to play around a lot with finding our own uh, twists on characters and scenes. Um, we are encouraged to make comedic choices um, that we could come up with ourselves that maybe weren't in the script to start, but we were able to come up with um, different interactions between characters, um, maybe coming up with a funny gesture or something um, that, you know, we were able to come up with as cast members and inspire each other to do so.
4: Yeah, um, and with the design process and crew, like was, all of it is just like a giant collaborative effort. Um, make it as seamless as possible, but also like as goofy as we can possibly make it. So like a lot of creative props, stuff that looked in place, but also out of place, stuff that like was really colorful and poppy. Um, and then for my lighting design, like a lot of colors, like bright neon colors and other stuff that you know wouldn't be there in a renaissance. Um, just makes it like really pop and make it really really satirical. Absolutely. Um- so, as you talked about, you were given a lot of creatim,
2: uh, creative freedom. Uh, how did that help differentiate Xavier Theater's production of Something Rotten from other editions that have been put on in the past?
3: Yeah, I think we were able to put our own thumbprint on this production, which we try to do with every production. We never want to replicate, say, the original Broadway production of any show we do, um, this one included. So, I'm happy that we took um, a different... You know, different designs, different character interpretations. Um, and a lot of that was decided by um, our director, Stephen Skiles, and the production team. And all of that was also decided by the individual actors and individual designers. Um, and I'm very happy that we were able to make something that was already popular, but now make it our own.
4: Yeah, the creative freedom part was, like, really nice to have, especially as, like, a line of designer. This being my first musical in the program, but my third... No, fourth overall lighting design project. Um, it was just basically just giving us the freedom to do whatever we want. If we thought of a good idea, run it by Steve and run it by our technical director, see if we can make it work. And it ended up actually working really well in my favor. I ended up having, and you know, hopefully these photos will be on social media. Um, follow our pages. Uh, <laughs> there was like uh, a, an idea that I had two weeks out before we started our tech process before opening um, we just had this giant structure of full of lights that would fly in from above and just start flashing everywhere during like our really big numbers. Uh, it's a musical, omelette, and our final song, The Closer. So, really, really cool stuff that we got to do. Absolutely. And
2: the consensus seems to be that it was a very immersive experience for every playgoer who did see the play. Um, Joe, so something rotten is unique in that it bridges the gap between. Shakespeare and, Shakespeare and era humor, and uh, contemporary 21st century humor, um, how did the cast and you personally deal with such vastly different styles of comedy being wrapped up into a uh, single production?
3: Um, I honestly, I see the comedy as pretty consistent throughout. There are a lot of references to, like you said, to Shakespeare plays, which... Um, We have Shakespeare classes, and we have to learn Shakespeare parts as part of the theater degree here. So a lot of us were experienced in Shakespeare and knew some of that background. But there are also references to musical theater, and a lot of us are very experienced with musical theater, not only at Xavier, but from being uh, in shows from before college and even uh, listening and seeing shows from before. Um, So it was fun to be able to take... Uh, two very distinct worlds of theater that we had learned and combine them in ways that uh, the play itself kind of poked fun at uh, but we were able to find some comedy in that which was a lot of fun
2: awesome uh, so thank you guys so much both for joining us today um, as we wrap up here could you let us know the next produ- the next production or what is next for xavier theater
3: yeah, the next show we're doing is November 18th through the 20th. Mm-hmm. It's called Our Town. It's a classic play, um, and uh, it's directed by Aaron Rossini. And so that's coming up in just a couple weeks.
2: Awesome. Thank you both again. We hope to see you all at Xavier Theatre's next production. Back to you, Kayla.
0: Thank you very much, Benjo and Alec. I'm really sorry I missed Something Rotten, but it sounded like a, an amazing show. Um, now I'll kick it on over to John Baldridge with the sports update.
5: Thank you, Kayla and Julia. It's been a busy week of sports. We'll start with Xavier's basketball team. Musketeer Madness took place on Friday night, where we saw a three-point contest for the girls, and the boys saw two quarters of 12-minute action between a blue-white scrimmage, where the white won 50-46. Xavier guard Soleil Boom, who transferred from UTEP, spent his last three seasons there, led the Musketeers in points Friday night with 16, and went 6-7 for seven from the field. Now over to soccer. The men's soccer team lost their first game at Georgetown 3-0 on Saturday. The Musketeers have two regular season games left on the season with Senior Day against Providence this Saturday at 7 o'clock. Women's soccer had their Senior Day yesterday where they won 2-1 to and have one game regular season game left on the schedule at Marquette on Thursday night. Also in fall sports, Xavier's volleyball team goes to 13-7 and on the season after winning two games this weekend. They're in action this weekend on the road at St. John's in Villanova. Now over to the NFL. The Bengals beat the Falcons at home yesterday, 35-17. Joe Burrow threw for and eighty one yards, ran th- passed for three touchdowns, and ran for one touchdown. The Bengals' defense did not allow a point in the second half and have not allowed a touchdown this whole season in the second half. The Bengals go to 4-3 and three on the season and have won their last 4-5. or five. They are at Cleveland on Halloween night next Monday. The Browns lost to the Ravens yesterday, and the game will be next Monday at 8-15. Finally, to wrap up sports, the Phillies beat the Padres in five games in the NLCS, and ex-red Nick Castellanos caught the last out. And the Astros swept the Yankees, winning six to five last night, sending the Phillies and the Astros to play each other in the World Series, which will start on Friday. I'm John Baldridge with sports. Back to you, Kayla and Julia.
1: Thank you so much, John. It was nice to see uh, Joe Burrow go for his, uh, you know, fourth or fifth um game above 400 yards and that's pretty close to his career high of like 525 passing yards so that was neat and it was also neat to see us uh blow the Falcons out of the water we should be third or fourth uh, in the NFL now which is pretty nice uh, speaking as someone who has watched this team fail for years so uh now we'll hear from Kira and Lucy who are going to give us this week's Radio
6: Rex all right thank you Julia it's me hi I'm Kira Hudson, and today I'm reviewing Taylor Swift's 10th studio album, Midnights. For reference, I will only be talking about the 13 songs she originally, originally released on her album before she surprised fans with seven additional tracks, which she unveiled at 3 a.m. on October 22nd. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the 3 a.m. tracks, but come back to me in a month when I've listened to the whole album at least a thousand times by then, and my answer might change. Swift returns with a pop-filled album reverting from her last genre shift, which was folk and alternative. So a quick disclaimer that if you love folklore and evermore and do not like pop, there are still some amazing songs, but this album may not be for you, and that's okay. Midnight's can best be described as the love child of the sultry and revenge-filled era of reputation combined with the bright and bubbly pop of Lover. I absolutely adore the the mellow beat of Lavender Haze with Swift's dreamy vocals singing about an all-encompassing love glow, which she described on an Instagram reel. It's one of the best openers for an album, and the rest of the tracks do not disappoint. Vigilantish, Bejeweled, and Karma are remnants of reputation as they play on the idea of revenge while also accepting your role of being the bigger person. I'll have such catchy background tracks that I can't help but dance around when I hear it. Her lyrics are similar to that of Look What You Made Me Do and I Did Something Bad, but these songs still fit seamlessly into this new era. However, I was taken aback with the very jarring autotune that she uses in several of her songs, such as Midnight Rain and Question. The overuse of autotune feels very synthetic and distances the listener from the performer. I love Swift's voice as her vocal range is incredible from over 15 years of experience in the music industry. Swift has been able to connect with her audience because she writes songs that are so personal that many people can relate to. Adding in the startling voice tune at the beginning of one of the most anticipated songs on the album was disappointing, to say the least. However, this does not waive my overall opinion that that it is a great album with catchy but still intimate songs. My final verdict, Taylor Swift really is a mastermind. And now to Lucy.
7: Thanks, Kira. Hey, everyone, this is Lucy Kramer, and this week we'll... I'll be talking about the newest DC superhero movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson titled Black Adam. Now, I went into this movie with quite low expectations. Honestly, the last DC Extended Universe movie that really impressed me was Patty Jenkins' ad- adaptation of Wonder Woman starring Gal Gadot back in 27- <clears throat> 2017. 2017. Now, I'm not the only fan who seems to feel this way, considering the fact that Warner Brothers Studios are currently in the midst of rebuilding the entire DCEU in order to complete, compete with the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But that being said, Black Adam didn't completely disappoint me, but it also didn't exactly impress me. The movie does a good job of introducing a really interesting concept where it questions the morality of superpowered individuals. However, it com- never completely dives into that theme, considering how bland and superficial the script is. But by the end, I didn't feel like many characters had foregone much character development, if any. Instead of creating in-depth and interesting characters, the film relies on flashy CGI and one fight scene after another. In the comics, Black Adam typically is shown as a villain, and only sometimes is portrayed as an anti-hero, and even less rarely as an actual hero. Originally, Black Adam was sought to appear in the 2019 movie Shazam! starring Zachary Levi, as the arch nemesis of Levi's hero. I am actually glad that Warner Brothers decided to give Black Adam a feature film instead. The new film contains darker themes exploring what it means to be a hero. As soon as the movie begins, the audience is introduced to Tet Adams' backstory as a former slave in the country of Kondok, ruled by by an unjust king. During his execution, he is saved by the same wizards who gave Levi's character power in Shazam. Although, instead of getting his powers from Greek gods, Tet Adam receives a combination of powers from Egyptian mythological gods. Next, we are introduced to common day Kondak, which is still under the rule. This time, however, it is not an ancient tyrant, tyranny that controls the country, but mercenaries. During this time, Tet Adam is woken up from his 5,000 year sleep and introduced to the new world. He is understandably confused by modern technology, even going as far as to refer to guns and bullets as some sort of magic. Immediately, he is seen as a threat. Instead of having a pre-established superheroes racing off to Condog to stop Tet Adam, the Justice Society of America is sent. The adaptation of the JSA is, a co- is comprised of a f- very familiar cast with Aldous Hodge as Hawkman, Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, Noah Centineo as Adam Smasher, and Quintessa Swindle as Cyclone. One of my favorite things about the movie was the visual effects that Swindle's character brought to the screen. In a movie that heavily relies on CGI sequences, it is hard for anything to stand out. However, the swirling green, pink, and yellow colors that accompany Cyclone as she uses her powers bring a much-needed vibrant colors that are aesthetically pleasing to the eye during an otherwise bland color palette portrayed through the movie. Overall, Black Adam definitely wasn't as bad as its 40% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it also wasn't as good as the 90% audience score from the same site. The movie didn't have me leaving the theater... In awe, but it did leave me interested in seeing how Warner Brothers are going to continue to attempt to repair the mess that is the current DCEU. Black Adam seems more, seems like it is potentially a step in the right direction for the studio. However, I have my doubts that they are actually going to be able to pull this off in the long run. Now back to Julia and Kayla. All right, thank you, Lucy
0: and Kira. Kira, the vault tracks are good, bigger than the whole sky. I, I might have shed a tear or two. But, um, and yeah, Lucy, I'll have to see Black Adam. I'm a big superhero fan. So thank you guys. Now I'm going to pass it on to Chris with this week's Campus Catch-Up.
8: Thanks, Kayla. We are one week away from Halloween, and later tonight, the Children's Charity Club and Alter 105 at 8 uh, are hosting their Halloween movie in paint for pumpkins for a contest. The winner gets some CCC merch as an award. Tomorrow evening, join Italian Club and Altar 302 at 7 to discover the joy of painting with Bob Ross. All supplies will be provided. On Wednesday, if you miss CCC's pumpkin painting, stop by the GSC anytime from 10 to 2 or on Thursday at the same time and purchase a mini pumpkin from Delta Sigma Pi for $5. Later, join the Alchemy Club in Logan 100 at 6 for the celebration of National Chemistry Week with tie-dying socks using Kool-Aid. Be sure to register quick as space is limited. Then at 7.30, join Sign Language Club in Alter 207 for some Halloween bingo and to learn some new Halloween signs. No prior knowledge is necessary. Finally, at 9, join RSA in the CAF for some spooky bingo with tons of prizes, including a TV, iPad, and gift cards. Only the first 750 students will be able to participate, so don't be late. To wrap up the week, join SAC to explore the Dent Schoolhouse on Thursday. Tickets are on sale now through EngageXU, and the buses will depart from Curito at 615 Finally, on Friday at 5 p.m., join Xavier Live and the lower level of GSC for Open Mic Night, an opportunity for performers of all kinds to, on campus to display their skills. Be sure to sign up using the link on EngageXU or the QR code on the posters around campus. Back to you, Kayla Julia.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. Those all sound fun, especially the Xavier Live Open Mic. Just a uh, little plug there. Uh, now we'll hear the downtown, low town, downtown lowdown from Layton.
9: Welcome to the Downtown Lowdown, down, whatever it's called. My name is Layton, and here are some interesting events that are happening in the area so you can have a drink after seeing your parents this weekend, because we all need one. First, the Pumpkin Glow will be happening from the 25th to the 30th in Xena, Ohio, a night filled with fancy glow-in-the-dark pumpkins, food trucks, and vendors. This is the perfect opportunity to get those sweater-weather black leggings photos that you may have missed this season, because... We all like having them on our Instagram feed. We don't. Anyways, next up, we have the infamous Dent Schoolhouse haunted house going through going now through November 5th. Dent Schoolhouse is nationally ranked for one of the best haunted houses in the country due to the overwhelming and frightening experience of having to go through high school again. Yeah, finally, we have a concert by the theoretical queen of r&b my girl mary j Blige is coming to town on october 22nd in heritage bank center because there's nothing more frightening than a strong black woman in ohio thank you so much for this scary episode lowdown hoedown lowdown showdown whatever it's called this segment yeah back to you kayla
0: all right thank you layton and now last but not least we have what in the world with patrick
10: All right, what in the world is going on, Xavier? I'm Patrick Hayes, and I'll be your host for What in the World. Our first news story of the week, a woman walking her dog in Shelling County, Washington, is ambushed and attacked by a black bear. The woman and her dog both sustain non-life-threatening injuries and have returned safely to their homes. Glad that the pair is safe, but talk about an unbearable situation. Our business story of the week, Snapchat stocks fall by a staggering 25%. However, this was no snap decision by investors. Snapchat, in a letter to its parent company, announced advertisers are decreasing their marketing budgets, resulting in less Snapchat ads. Many investors subsequently pulled their money from Snapchat, resulting in the drop. Our second story of the week, a journalist from Pakistan, Arshad Sharif, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that, has fled the country only to die in a shooting in Kenya, Ashrad has fled from Pakistan due to counts of uh, comments against the Pakistani state. Uh, Kenyan police heard reports of a stolen vehicle when they saw what they thought was Arshad's vehicle smashed through a barrier. The police fired on the vehicle, killing Arshad. An investigation is ongoing. If the car was Arshad's or had any similar plates to a stolen, uh, a similar stolen vehicle, excuse me. My condolences to the friends and family of Arshad. Our main story of the week, British Indian author Salman Rushdie is recovering from stab wounds he took back in August, but not without consequence. Uh, Salman was stabbed multiple times before his lecture in New York back in August by a 24-year-old man who was quickly taken into custody by New York police. Salman has lost the use of one of his hands as well as sight in his left eye. The attacker is on trial for second-degree murder and second-degree assault where he is pleading not guilty, hoping to see that Salman makes a speedy recovery. And last but not least, we have our fun news story of the week. A San Francisco bakery has made a life-size sculpture of Han Solo trapped in carbonite out of bread. This weedy work of art has drawn all kinds of attention, netting the bakery a ton of dough. A bakery who worked on the sculpture said she lost her taste and smell after having COVID last year, so it's nice to have sculpting to take her mind off of what she's missing. Hey, at Yeast, she's making the best of her situation. That's all I have for you today, Xavier. I'm Patrick Hayes, and now you know what in the world is going on. I'm tossing it right back to Kayla.
0: All right. Thank you, Patrick, for that entertaining what in the world this week. Listeners, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today in this episode of Duneswire Live. Thank you for tuning into the show today. We would like to give a special thanks to Carolyn Youngquist, a music education alumni of Xavier, who produced the music heard in today's show. At this time, we'd like to give a shout out to all of our staff and guests who helped make this episode possible. Thanks to Faith DeColvey, Chris Anderson, Griffin Brammer, Spencer DeTenley, Ben Dickinson, Joe Mitchell, Alex Schneider, John Baldridge, Lucy Kramer, Kira Hudson, Patrick Hayes, and Layton Gamage for their contributions to this episode.
1: If you have any thoughts or feedback for the Newswire multimedia crew, send them to our email, xaviernewswire at gmail.com. Find Newswire Live episodes and other content on YouTube if you search Xavier Newswire to find our channel. Follow our Spotify to hear archived episodes, our Stories That Inspire podcast, our Girl Boss Cube podcast, and other student led podcasts. Tune in to our next episode next Monday at 6 p.m. Until next week, I'm Julia Lankish. And this is Kayla Ross wishing the family of
0: actor Leslie Jordan my deepest condolences. Uh, Rest in peace, Leslie. Talk to you next time.